Hello, everyone. This is Bill Knauer, and you're listening to Author to Author, where we talk about writing and life. Because what it takes to write the book you want to write is also what it takes to lead the life you want to lead. Uh, that is true. Author to Author is brought to you by Author Magazine, the premier free writing magazine on the internet featuring articles on writing and the writing life. So all kinds of advice, advice about how to write and how to publish, but also just how to live as a writer. We give it to you all. And uh, also interviews, video interviews with best-selling and award-winning authors across the genres. My conversation with the wonderful Kate Jagetti is up there talking all about manifestation and using our mind to live the way we want to live. Kate's great. It was a great conversation. You can learn about it at authormagazine.org. And we are funded by the good people at the Pacific Northwest Writers Association, supporting writers from pen to publication since 1955. And uh, uh, we're going to be, our conference is coming up, our big conference coming up in September. You can sign up for it at uh, pnwa.org. But we also have a little mini conference little two-day mini conference, kind of pre-conference conference, if you want to get your head in order. I'm going to be teaching a class on learning to love the uh, book proposal and how to pitch nonfiction books to publishers and agents. Yeah, you can learn from me. So uh, I'll be there. Love to see you. You can learn about all these things at pnwa.org. Yeah. So, hey, next, uh, oh boy, a conversation we had today. It's great. Um, this is with Lisa Carius and uh well, we talked about a lot of things, but we, we talked about her book uh, that just came out, uh, What a Wonderful World It Could Be, and uh, well, she, what a journey she took getting that thing published. It took a long time from when she finished it first to when it, I won't say how long, I'm, I'm going to let you find out when you listen, but it was interesting, so it's great, can't wait to share it with you. Uh, Lee is uh, the author of four novels, a collection of essays, and a collection of short stories. She has held fellowships from the National Endowment of the Arts and the North Carolina Arts uh, Council. She has twice won the North Carolina Sir Walter Raleigh Award for a book of fiction and has received many prizes, including two silver medals from the Independent Book Publishers Awards and the Philip H. McCath Book Award. Her previous novel, Across the Great Lake, was named a 2019 Notable Michigan Book and her essays, which have appeared in numerous journals, have been cited and reprinted in the best American essays. She co-edited an anthology of short fiction titled Runaway and is taught at Princeton University and the University of North Carolina, Greensboro, where she is an emerita professor of English. And uh, like I said, the book uh, it's out now is called What a Wonderful World It Could Be. And here you go. Can't wait to share it with you. Enjoy. Well, Lee, uh, welcome. First of all, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I'm so glad to be here. And congratulations on book number uh, five, six. What, what in terms of everything from fiction to essays? What are we on? We are on uh, fiction. Is my latest book. Yeah, I'm actually working on a nonfiction book right now. Okay. So your mind is on nonfiction, but we're talking about fiction, which is exactly. what a wonderful world this could be. Great book. Congratulations. It's it really um, it shows a lot of care, a lot of heart. I hope you're pleased with it. Thank you. Uh, I'm I'm very pleased to have it in print. Finally, finally, finally. Yeah. Uh, was it an unusually long journey to that destination? This one was a very unusual journey. It, um, I wrote the initial draft of this book in the 
1980s and finished it in 1990. What? It was such a blitz of media coverage of the 1960s in 1988 and 1989, a la the Beatles. It was yeah. 20 years ago today. Yeah. But in 1990, trying to sell this book was like trying to sell last year's Pet Rock. Really? Liked the book, but it was the wrong subject at the wrong moment. And so it was a, a shelf warmer for years. And then every now and then someone would get interested in it. I would take it out. I would revise. Uh, and then something would happen and it would go back on the shelf for a while. So it's sort of been in and out of production for many, many, many years. Holy smokes. You know, the only one I can think of like that is um, is uh, the guy who wrote Matterhorn, um, Carl Marlantes, the book about Vietnam. I interviewed him when he published that. And he wrote that like in the early 80s. And it just took forever to any for anybody to be willing to hear, have a book about Vietnam. You know, it just it sat there and sat also about the 60s. Okay, that is fascinating. All right, well, let's back up. So this is like we just did the prologue to a novel. Now we're going to go back to the beginning, just like you did actually in this book. And um, let's talk about you. So you're a photographer and you're a writer. Did these interests develop simultaneously? Did one come first? Probably the interest in writing came first because that came when I was a child. Yeah. But when I was, was a child before I had a camera, I had an interest in photography because my mother kept photograph albums and I loved to go through them. All these okay. pictures from the 20s and 30s. Oh, and, uh, you know, Chicago, which is where I was born in uh, the era of the streetcars. And mm. so, so I was fascinated by it for a long time. I just didn't know you could do it. Uh, right camera i didn't know what a dark room was so right. by the time i got to college i was pretty torn between the two of them and i think what sent me down the path for writing was that i was printing color at a time when color was more expensive than back and black and white and i ran out of paper and i went to the camera store to buy the paper <laughs> And it was $40 for a box of paper, which was an enormous amount of money at that time. Sure. And I looked at that box of paper and thought, you know what? You're not making any money at this. You're not even trying to make any money at this. Pencil and paper are a whole lot cheaper. Go with writing. And wow. I went off to graduate school in writing. Weird. So that moment has remained emblazoned in your mind as the fulcrum of the main focus of your creative work. Absolutely. Wow. All Comes right. Down to 40 bucks worth of paper. <laughs> what a weird way to make a choice. All right. I, and by the way, there's no wrong way to make it. It's just, I should say unusual. Um, okay. So there you, so you head off. I'm going to write, I'm going to write. Now, did you know like fiction essays? Were you not, you didn't care what, because you're doing your next book's nonfiction. Did you not I care? I was drawn to fiction from, from the beginning. I think because I read a lot of fiction when I was young. Not necessarily good fiction, but you know, my mother started me off when I was a preschooler, a, a toddler, reading little golden books. Sure. Um, oh, I read those. Yeah, and, yeah. And she, she especially liked the ones that had good lessons, like the Pokemon. 
little poppy, be prompt, busy <laughs> Jimmy, be tidy. She couldn't stand Alice in Wonderland. What? Oh, no. Way out for her. I'm not sure she even knew that Lewis Carroll wrote that book. We had the little golden book version. And oh, I think you, oh, okay. Yeah. But, and then I graduated when I was reading myself to the Bobsy Twins, Nancy Drew, all those standard sorts of, of Yeah, things. but those books teach you about story, about getting excited, about caring about a world that isn't actually you're not experiencing. I think there's no wrong way in, man. Oh, I agree. Plus, they also teach you a lot about plot. Now, I yeah. wasn't good at it i was when i was say junior high age trying to write my own detective stories and i couldn't think of the mystery or else i couldn't solve the mystery (laughs) but you know nancy drew books every chapter ends with her getting hit over the head and blanking out or room full of black widow spiders (laughs) falling off a cliff or you know i mean it really does teach you something about the way stories move and to create suspense yeah yeah you have to have something resembling suspense you know it's interesting i write personal essays only now but even in those you'd mentioned beforehand that you read one of little pieces i did i always have a little bit of i guess suspense about i want to withhold something usually because i don't know what it is where i'm going anyway so i know i'm withholding something but there i always want a sense of what's to come why where are we going in, in anything I'm writing. And I think it's, I think to some degree, every story is a mystery. I could say every story is a love story too, but I think every story is a mystery on some level. What do you think? I think that's, I think that's especially true of uh, personal nonfiction also, yeah. because you're always digging deeper. You're looking for the meaning of your experience. Right. Um, you know what the experience is, but you're looking for something beyond that. Uh, that's something- right but another dimension and so that uh i think is very very true of nonfiction, not just fiction yeah no it's i think it's so close you know I, you you write personal nonfiction. we call it personal essay i per, creative nonfiction. i don't know we all these different words for it but it memoir in its broadest sense stories where you're the protagonist are is so close i think to fiction it's it's almost dishonest but it's the truth. I mean, it's what happened, but just where it comes from and where it, what it's serving feels very close to fiction to me. It does, but a lot of its moves also feel close to poetry to me. Yes, the yes, yes. Yeah, yes. In fact, I think when I started writing personal nonfiction, I realized poetry, which is where I really started, was my first go at memoir in a lot of ways. I didn't understand it at the time, but it taught me a lot about taking my own life and translating it into art, right? Yes. Okay, so, you, all right, so you start writing. And when did you start thinking, uh, I think I can do this? Like, I mean, you, maybe you think you're all you're okay at it. Uh, you know, maybe we, you still don't know if you're okay at it, but you know how it is. At some point you think, I think I can do this. Do you have such a memory? I, I think it was when I was in grad school Yeah, and people began to take me seriously and I began to publish. Yeah. So I sold my first book, which was a book of short stories while I was still in grad school. Oh, so oh. Okay. From the outside world that says, okay, yes, you can yeah. do this. We'll let you do this. Yeah. Well, is that nice of them? <laughs> your self permission already. But, you know, having that permission from the outside world is very helpful also. 
it 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 definitely helps. Uh, and so you were these were short stories, so you had probably published some in literary journals and such already. Yes, the usual route, kind of. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, you know, you said something interesting, and I think it's it it shouldn't be missed by our listeners that. It, it is nice. I've had the experience and it's great when a publisher says, yes, we want to publish what you've written. But on some level, I've always felt that that never happens until I've given it to myself. Now, I may not make a big deal of giving it to myself, but it always a kind of like the publisher and I are in agreement on something. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Absolutely. And you, um, you have a belief in not necessarily all of your work because right. not not <laughs> everything I write is great. Right. Um, but you have a belief in a certain amount of your work, um, certain pieces that you've written, certain books you've written. And like this most recent book, it may just hit the wrong editor at the wrong time. And so you put it on a shelf, but that doesn't mean you give up on it. Right. I, my story about this particular book would be very inspirational to a 21-year-old writer who's really impatient to get... Oh, oh. They would, they would hate this story. 30, 40 years. They would happen. hate this story. Really? I know. I know. But in the meantime, I mean, your books don't necessarily get published in the order that they were written. No. Uh, in the meantime, I was publishing other books. That right. Okay, so... So um, this, okay, this is fascinating. I didn't know, for whatever reason, maybe, maybe the publicist uh, told me when she sent this to me, but I didn't know that this was the trajectory of this book's life. Um, so you wrote this in the, you finished it in the 90s. You started in the 80s, you finished it in the 90s, or 1990, you said? Yes, but okay. I've, I've revisited it and revised it. Right, right. But, but you first tried to bring it out to the world in 1990. Yes. Okay, yes. and how much... What had you written and published prior to that? I had published a book of short stories and I had published a first novel. Okay. So you were on your way and you figured this will be book number three. Here we go. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And my uh, my novel, my first novel uh, did very well in terms oh. of pub right sales and right. stuff. So there was a certain amount of confidence there that was suddenly... Sure a great deal of a test so interesting because they just thought you know it's, it's an interesting thing because i wonder if it, it would have struggled you know there's no way to know and by the way publishers don't know they don't i mean they know some things but they don't they can't predict the future nobody really my favorite story being uh, i interviewed richard bach and who wrote you know jonathan livingston seagull and i guarantee and and nobody 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 except for one editor who was a pilot in New York in 1970 had any interest in that book that sold 44 million copies. So people, you know, they have their ideas. <laughs> oh yeah. And I, one time the New York times book review did a feature interviewing editors who had let famous books go. Yeah. Not one of them said, gee, we really missed the boat on that one. They would all just say, oh, it wasn't right for us. Gone with the Wind wasn't right for us. You know, Jonathan Livingston <laughs> wasn't right for us. No, they didn't just think it was not right for them. They're, when the editor came to them and said, why did we pass on this book? They all said, the Seagull book? Why, why wouldn't we pass on it? No, it's going to do great. And it did. So, all right. So, uh, so you write it and you get the news and all right. And you put it aside. Um, so... 
in the meantime, so you're writing and publishing a lot of stuff. I, I know you're publishing a lot of in, in a lot of periodicals and more books. Were you like teaching also? What were you, how were you filling your yes. days? I, w- I was teaching full time. Uh, it actually took me too long to finish the first draft of this particular book because I was teaching full time. I was directing a graduate writing program. I was oh. literary review and I had a baby. Um, oh. <laughs> so there were a few little distractions of yeah. on my time there. So, all right, so this is interesting. And so let's talk about how this book finally found the world of print. You, did you ever consider, I, I bet the answer is no, but did you ever consider like independently publishing it? Just like, screw it, I'll, I'll just do it myself. I always knew once that became a thing that that possibility was there. Okay. Busy with other things. Uh, and the, the possibility is still there. I've got a... a new book of personal essays that does not have a single story arc it's uh, to me the beauty of personal essays is that you can go here you can go there sure sure where but publishers want you to go to one place right Um, and so that book is just kind of i think it's out somewhere now but in the back of my mind i always know well i can i can publish that myself if it that if I have to. So, so okay. Um, this book was published June first uh, of this year. And um, when did you? First of all, what made you decide to that it was time to bring it to to sh- find look again? To sh- you have I assume you worked with an agent for this. I worked with an agent who was very excited about it, and who moved in the process. She had been in New York moved to California okay. and she had a second child and she kind of lost interest in the, in the business. And she had me do yet another revision. Okay. She said, I found the right home for this book. And I email her back and go, great. Can't wait for details. I'm going to go have a celebratory glass of wine. Then I don't hear from her for three months. Oh, for God's sakes. My, oh. uh, my queries go unanswered. So finally, I email her and say, you know, look, I, I assume the deal fell through. What's the status? Are you still representing my book or not? And she said, oh, well, I still love it anyway. That's all. What? Um, what? So I decided at that point, it's better to have no agent. Right. To have an agent who's not communicating with you. Sure. Uh, you don't know what she's doing. You don't know where your book is. Uh, and it was a friend. I was working on an anthology, uh, editing an anthology with a friend for Madville Publishing. And she said, well, why don't you, um, if you have a novel, you know, why don't you send them a novel on, you know, just happened to have this on my shelf. Oh. Send it off. And that was that. All right. And so that's really interesting. So Mike, I, I thought this was, I had this experience with another, oh, it was um, Joan Frank, a novelist friend of mine. You might know her. She's, well, maybe you don't, I don't know. It's a lot of writers. And I, she'd sent, I'd interviewed her for the, her latest book. And I was like, Joan, man, you're just getting better and better, man. This is such a great book. She says, oh, I wrote this one 15 years ago. <laughs> I'm like, okay, I don't know. And so my question to you is, I think it's beautifully written. Did you, did you reread it and think, 
hey, this girl can write? Or did you think, oh, God, I can't go back into that? What was your thought in looking back at this thing? Cut some of the adverbs. Aha! You've gotten a leaner in your old age. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, that, I th- the basic writing was was there. I had yeah. restructured it at, at some point, but when I was working on the final manuscript, once I knew it had been accepted, I did go, oh, she said lamely. That, you know, slide. Yeah, yeah. You don't need lamely. Right. Et cetera. So I cleaned it up a bit. Right, but it wasn't like, it was, it was, it was, you still liked the basic voice of the thing. I, I still liked the basic voice of the thing. It's third person. Uh, the reason I chose third person is that the main character is very beautiful. And if it were a first person book, communicating that would be, yeah. Yeah. I mean, she might sound vain. Right, right, right. Oh, that's, oh, so you like chose that sort of intellectually, almost like strategically. Yes. That yeah. is interesting. And because often these choices will present themselves sort of intuitively, but exactly because you knew her beauty was going to be part of the deal, part of the storyline. Yes. Yeah. And I, I would say that for other of my books, what you're saying is absolutely true. The point of view has presented itself almost before the book did. Yeah. Yeah. This one was a conscious choice yeah. for that reason. Yeah. Well, it's probably a smart choice because it's, because then what happens, then you have to have the person talk. If, if, if their beauty is a thing, then they have to reflect on that in some way. Talk about what they see when they look in the mirror and what do they think. And if you don't want to get into that, if that's not the actual storyline, then you don't, that's, that gets complicated. Yes. Yeah. Ah, oh, it's so interesting. That is interesting. Beauty is in the eye of the beholder, but unless the eyes <laughs> are the one beholding themselves, then it gets a little slippery, doesn't it? Oh, that's so interesting. Okay. And so... All right. And so it comes out. What did you think? Like, what what did you because this is the only time in your life, I assume that you've had anything resembling this kind of gap between conception and birth, (laughs) I guess you could say. Yes, exactly. It was a long, long pregnancy. Long pregnancy. (laughs) Even longer than an elephant's. Right, right, right. So what did you think? I mean, is it was it anticlimactic? Was it nice? Was it? It, it was very nice. Um, I mean, there was a kind of um, gratitude there that you didn't take for granted in the way you did maybe some other books that were right. sent more quickly. So there, there was just, you know, a lot of pleasure in knowing that this book that I cared about and that I had spent so much time with is out there it's in the world yeah yeah it is it and and uh and do, were you able i published a book on june 1st also and you know i did a virtual launch and i i mean i've done interviews and stuff but i haven't done any events it's nonfiction, so it's a little less eventy um have you done stuff have you been able to do any of the kind of book stuff around it well, I, I thought we, we had originally planned to publish it in March and we pushed it forward to June for a couple of reasons. One had to do simply with the schedule of my publicist. Another had to do with the hope that uh, we were going to transition to yes. by then. And that didn't happen. So I kind of hit that strange time of still Zooming 
but there's a lot of Zoom fatigue that's yeah, in. yeah. So uh, I I'm doing an in-person event later this month, but most of my events have been Zoom events. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I still haven't done anything in person yet. I mean, I'm, I was going to do something in New York, and they said, Neh. and then I might do something down in California and. But we'll see. We'll, you know, we'll see. We just don't know. Um, now, you, you're, as I mentioned, the character's a photographer. Um, the, the protagonist is a photographer. And uh, you are too. But I, I, I've mentioned on this show before that I, I write music. That's one of my side things I do to please myself. And it's a great, you know, diversion in a lot of ways. Yeah. Um, Talk to me about the relationship between the photography and writing. I, I can, it seems pretty obvious to me, but I'd like to hear your, your take on that. One thing about photography is that writing this book sent me back into it. I had gone away from it for quite a while. Mm-hmm. I, I made Alex, the main character of this book, a photographer in a way of taking a shortcut. It was something I knew about. It was something I didn't have to right. research. There were a whole lot of other things in the novel that I had to research extensively, but it was sort of a shortcut uh, that actually turned into something more because it allowed me to explore the the nature of what a photographer does, because in some ways it's a much more exploitative art. Yeah, right. Um, And so it it allowed me to think about that and to think about the relationship between art and politics, which is very much at the core of of the book. Um, But as a result of writing the book, I began to miss photography so much. I took it up again, although she and I are very different kinds of photographers. She's a documentary people photographer. I'm a nature uh, photographer. Right. One thing I think that uh, photography has uh, consciously taught me about writing is framing. And you're always framing something when you are looking uh, through the lens of a camera. And so it's it's made me much aware. Maybe taught me isn't the right term. It's made me much more aware of how I'm framing things on the page. Yeah, because we, it's hard for us to remember, but every word we choose gives an emphasis, gives a frame, gives a point of view to an event. You know, you ask 10 people, I would do exercises with personal, with memoir, I would say, okay, everybody describe this class as if someone hadn't taken it. Like just, just do a one paragraph description, totally different, but they're all sitting in the same place, but their little, whatever they're, some don't even describe the room at all just what they're thinking about and some get into the physical, but it's always different. Yet they're all sitting there seeing the same thing, hearing the same guy talk and all this, but it's all different. And so I think we, I think we don't, we forget how subjective our life is sometimes. It's possible. I I agree. I agree. Another, another thing I would say about the relationship between photography and my writing in particular is that photography is all about light. Uh, It's more, light than it is even about the subject matter that interesting okay and i pay an awful lot of attention to weather and to light in my my writing if you'll notice in descriptive passages there's just a kind of heightened awareness of that that's trained into me because of photographer 
And then you got to learn. And then when that gets trained in, because it's always an interesting thing about a writer. I always tell my students, you know, writing is an interesting art form because we're taking a three-dimensional five sensory experience and we're translating it into thought because that's all it is, thought. I mean, a word is a thought of a kind. And we don't have the physical experience. And so you have to start learning the language of light and start learning the language of weather because there's a whole vocabulary you have to develop around that on a mechanical level, just not to repeat yourself over and over again. And also just to understand how do you render light in language? Yes. Right? Exactly. Um, You create a, a sense of that. And it's all part of the texture. I mean, we know how important texture is. Oh, yeah. In any kind of language to to life, the um, appeal to the senses yeah. and light, of course, is visual. But there's also something a little more subtle about it than just being visual. Oh, it's it, it's. I mean, there's a reason light has taken on spiritual religious significance that it will represent God often. You know, or you know, who's that famous painter who? When he died, he 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 said, "God is the sun." Who he was a I think he was a Danish painter. I saw a doc. I saw a cool docu or a biograph on him. Um, oh, I wish I'd seen it. Oh yeah, he was all about. He was a realistic, a very realistic painter who who's worked with light in this certain way. And um, so anyway, but my point is that light has emotional significance to us for many. I think that goes beyond just oh good I can see right and oh there's casting a shadow. Um, all right. All right, Lee. So the book is What a Wonderful World. What a Wonderful World it, this could be. And it's out now. Uh, do you do Zoom book events if someone wanted your Absolutely. fascinating presence in a, in a book group? Absolutely. Okay. I, I have a website so people know how to get in touch with me. My email's right there. All right, good. All right. So you can go to, it's just leezacarius.com. Com, right if i think i was just on the website myself i didn't yes no yeah. google her she shows right up it's a, like a good author should okay so so you're working on your next book this is great uh congratulations on this one it's really good people it's a good read it's very entertaining very well written it's got all the checks a lot of boxes uh i got one last question for you lee and what i want you to do is finish this sentence if writing has taught you anything it's taught you what three r's Revisit, rethink, rewrite. (laughs) Revisit, rethink, rewrite. Yes. That's that's the process. That's the process. Is it the process for life too? Can you apply that to life as well, do you think, for the rest of your life away from the desk? Oh, I I think you can, although it's in memory. You don't don't get a chance. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I can't rewrite in the moment. <laughs> yes, yes. But yeah, absolutely. And one answer to that question obviously might be um, empathy, but you hope you had that anyway before you start. Hope. You hope. <laughs> you hope. Well, thank you so much, Lee. This was awesome. Thank you so much. I really enjoyed talking to you. There you go. Revisit, rethink, rewrite. I like it. I like it. Pretty simple, pretty uh, 
Pretty true. Pretty true. Also, hey, listen, made a little mistake. The name of the book is Wonder- What a Wonderful World This Could Be. Not it could be, this could be. Slight difference, but you know, you got to get it right. Sorry about that. What a Wonderful World This Could Be. It's a good book. Worth your time. Yes, it is. All right, listen, I'll be back again next week. This was a lot of fun, but I'll be back again next week. I want to thank my producer, RJ Jeffries. You're fabulous. To all of you out there, go find something you love to do and do it. <laughs> <laughs>